Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our podcast about food, hunger, passion, and making a difference in the world today. Over the past four weeks, we've explored the origin of the child tax credit and the changes made as part of the American Rescue Plan that was passed in March of this year. We've heard from members of Congress like Jim McGovern, Rosa DeLauro, and Senator Michael Bennett about their decades-long fight to increase the amount of the credit as a means to ending poverty and hunger in America. We've also talked to leaders from Code for America and Propel. These are two organizations using technology to make sure that all eligible families receive the child tax credit. Today, we bring you the final episode in our child tax credit series. We'll hear how the credit is benefiting families and what you can do to help make the changes to the credit permanent. We'll share with you an interview with Kim Ford, the president and CEO of Martha's Table, and her colleague, Kaylin Thomas, a family services engagement specialist working with parents and children. Based right here in Washington, D.C., Martha's Table is one of the most respected anti-hunger and family services organizations in the country. It's been a leading voice in the power of direct cash payments to create stability and help families transition out of poverty. We'll also speak with Sam Daly-Harris, a lifelong anti-hunger advocate and the founder of the advocacy training organization, Results. We'll talk to Sam about the role that all of us have in ending hunger and poverty in America. We're happy you've joined us and we'll be back in just a moment with our interview with Kim Ford and Kaylin Thomas of Martha's Table. No Kid Hungry's work is fueled by the incredible generosity of partners like Hickory Farms. Since our partnership began in 2008, Hickory Farms has raised over $7 million to support No Kid Hungry. You can learn more about our partnership and purchase gifts that give back by going to hickoryfarms.com slash nokidhungry. For every give back gift box and filet gift purchased, Hickory Farms will donate $5 to help end childhood hunger. Joining us now are Kim Ford, the president and CEO of Martha's Table, and our colleague, Kaylin Thomas, who's a family engagement specialist with Martha's Table, working with parents and children. Martha's Table is based here in Washington, D.C., and it's probably one of the most respected anti-hunger and broad-based family service organizations anywhere in the country. Kaylin and Kim, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having us. And thanks so much for thinking of Martha's Table. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Everybody loves Martha's Table here in Washington, D.C. and beyond for the great work that they do, saving lives and changing lives. And not every organization can say that. So it's really, really special for us to have you on the podcast. Before we even get into the child tax credit, give us a sense of what Martha's Table's actually been through over these last 18 months. I'm sure the demands and the need have been extraordinary. We've seen that at Share Our Strength and all across the country. So what's it been like here in our own community, here in Washington, D.C.? Well, again, thanks so much to Share Our Strength for this kind invitation and, and your wonderful words. We we love to hear that people love Martha's Table. Uh, you know, we're very proud of our 41-year history and the work that we've done, and we're very proud of the past 18 months, you know, we, we never closed, not once. And in fact, we actually doubled down on all of our resources uh, because we said to ourselves, if not us, who? And if not now, when? So we actually expanded from um, supporting 500 bags of groceries a day to over 2000 bags of groceries a day. Uh, seven days a week, our McKenna's Wagon, our free food truck that goes out to provide a hot meal to those who are facing housing instability, went out every single 
day. We never had a disruption, even throughout everything that was happening in D.C., even when we had to talk through checkpoints and DEA and military police and everything. Um, our clothing supports continued via online and phone services and our nationally accredited early childhood education centers Though they went into a virtual model, we were able to support families with our first ever, first ever cash assistance program. And we supported all of the families, 137 families, we're representing 207 young people, uh, six weeks to age four, with $9,000 free and clear, plus per child, uh, $15 a day worth of grocery gift cards plus diapers, wipes, and formula. So if dad has two kids, dad received $9,000 plus $30 a day, plus two sets of diapers, wipes, and formula. And so again, during this entire, this just terrible, terrible time, we have really uh, leaned in to COVID again with the, with the thought of if not us, who, and if not now, when, and just continue to stand alongside the community who gives us our energy and our strength. So, Kim, I was uh, as I was keeping track of uh, what you were talking about in terms of the folks that you served, whether it was through McKenna's Wagon or the cash assistance program or bags of groceries. Uh, I have a feeling it's a big number. What does it all add up to in terms of the number of people that you reach either a day or a week? Uh, our, our best calculation is monthly is about 10,000 individuals a month. OK, so that's a that's quite a segment of our community that uh, Martha Stable makes a difference for. That's good to know. Thank you. Uh, and the cash assistance uh, program that you were describing, was that somewhere you were headed uh, before the pandemic? Had the pandemic accelerated it or, or did the pandemic just convince you that it was needed? It, it feels like amazing that you could put that together so quickly. That's why I asked the question the way I'm asking it. Yeah. I mean, and that that's just, um, it, it's such a great question because it was, it, it is something that we had long considered and been talking about because the root, one of the root causes um, of you know folks being able to mobilize is being able to first stabilize, and that stability can come from, quite frankly and simply, money. And I'm so glad that we're going to have a conversation about the child tax credit because again, the, those are the types of resources that help people stabilize. So we had had conversations about cash assistance programming and we saw this as a window and then we just burst right through it. Uh, our program was so successful that it then laid the groundwork for a larger program now called Thrive East of the River with other Ward 8 uh, Ward 8 Southeast DC uh, organizations, Bread for the City, Far Southeast Family Strengthening Collaborative, and Building Bridges Across the River. And now we've supported almost 600 families with direct cash assistance. Uh, we've been a part of national conversations around cash assistance. And again, there's just so many ties between you know uh, the cash assistance work and the child tax credit, and just making sure that people can have money in their hands so they can stay in their homes, put food on their tables, and most importantly, uh, you know, retain the dignity and respect of choice. It's one thing if you just you know, pay for things for people or quote unquote, give people things. It's very different when you respect somebody to the point where you say, this is your money and you make your own decision with it. 
you know, one of the things that we've been trying to, to get across, um, and we haven't done it strongly enough, but uh, our focus for a long time had been on uh, share our strength, and we'll continue to be on uh, school meals and making sure that el every eligible child gets breakfast and lunch and summer meals and so forth. But we're also trying to get across the message, and I think this is very in sync with what you just said, that, uh, and it, it sounds a little bit maybe counterintuitive at first, but we want people to think about it, is that it, it takes more than food to fight hunger. Most people, you know, think instinctively of the food assistance that we all support and provide. But what you're talking about are the, uh, you know, assets that, as you say, help stabilize a family uh, and maybe put them in the position where they won't need food assistance uh, in the first place. So it's, it, from our point of view, at least, it's got to be about more than food. I'd love to turn to Kaylin to get an understanding of a little bit more about who, who are the families? What challenges are they facing uh, what is the kind of the three-dimensional sense of what their needs are? Our families um, are resilient, so they deal with a lot of different obstacles on a daily basis. We have housing concerns, employment concerns, just everyday concerns from dealing with the pandemic and having lack of childcare um, turning into a virtual model. And not a lot of their places of employment supported the fact that you know, we are in a very unprecedented time. The pandemic has taken the world by storm. So we've had families say that they've lost their jobs. They don't know where they're, how they're going to pay their bills. And having the ability of Martha's Table coming in and providing this cash assistance has allowed our families to get somewhat of a cushion. I've had families say that they've purchased a car. They weren't feeling safe on public transportation going far places to get work and we helped them do that, paid back rent so they weren't uh, improving their credit. So that way they can relocate and move um, to a different place to make themselves more stable. I've had families tell me that they've moved out of their parents' homes and gotten their own apartments with the help of Martha's Table. So what we've done is given them an opportunity to be more independent, to not feel like they have no other option, but to, you know, kind of deal with the pain and the suffering that a lot of people deal with. So we really made a turn for our families with the cash assistance program. And, you know, what, one of the facts of life for us, at least, that we struggle with is um, the knowledge that with finite resources, we're only able to reach a portion of the families and children that we try to serve, whether locally or nationally. Uh, I'm assuming, but don't know that that's probably true for Martha's Table as well. So when I think about uh, the 137 families that Kim mentioned get cash assistance and the impact that has on the 207 children, is the, is how would you describe, I guess, Kaylin or Kim, the, the total universe of need? If you could serve everybody and reach everybody with this type of assistance, I'm assuming it's a lot more than 137 families. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, we started with 137 with the Martha's Table program and now are close to 600 um, families with the Thrive East of the River program. But, you know, we're talking about Ward 8 that has close to 100,000 residents and Ward 8 has the lowest uh, median income across the entire city. The community that we are situated in, our headquarters is in, $34,000 is, is the median income. And when you compare that to not even, we don't have to do Ward 8 to Ward 3. When you compare that to, you know, just just a stone's throw across the river, Ward 6 or anything, I mean, you're still going to jump into the six-figure median income level. 
And so, you know, when we talk about what is the total need, the total need is um, probably well, it's certainly over a hundred thousand in wards seven and eight, uh, probably in pockets of one, four, and five as well. Uh, not to say that there's not uh, need across the entire city, but when you talk about places that really have, um, you know, two very different worlds happening, I mean, you have folks who are working two and three jobs and still are just barely keeping their eyes and nose above water. You know, it's not even their whole head and they are working hard. They want to work. They are working. They're trying, trying, trying to take care of themselves and their families. And so, again, being able to have in, 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 in you know, to infuse money. And it's amazing how little the amounts sometimes need to be to be able to help stabilize so a family can mobilize. And as Kaylin uh, so wisely talked about this, you know, um, people don't even think about the, the some of the simple things, right? Buying a car or being able to fix your car uh, helps you keep that job because you have to be on the job site at four in the morning and Metro isn't running then. Right. Like these, these things matter. That's what's keeping the roof over your head is maybe that fifteen hundred dollar fix to your car so you can keep your job. So uh, the, the need is the need is huge. Um, the economic uh, um, imbalances in the city are extremely pronounced and exacerbated and continue to be exacerbated because of covid. And we're just so happy to be able to, to do our small part in trying to support the system to correct itself. Well, I think your comments, Kim, really uh, set up what we want to talk about in terms of the child tax credit, because that is a, a form of uh, more publicly supported assistance. I think of the same variety that, that you're talking about. It won't come with restrictions. Families will be able to use it in their best interests and make their own decisions and have the choice and the dignity uh, to do that. Um, this has been a, a long climb for the child tax credit. It's existed in uh, much smaller forms over the years. This would be the first time that it's fully refundable at a level that could really be transformative for families. How will you uh, make sure that you're, well, I guess one of the things that we're worried about and focused on is that in many cases, the families that need it the most may be the least likely to get it if they haven't been filing taxes in the past or if they're just not in that system. What will Martha's Table do to help families access the child tax credit? So as a family engagement specialist, our whole goal is to make sure that our um, parents are supported and supportive. So what we are going to do is for anyone that didn't file their taxes, they have the ability to have an alternative method that is used to um, do it online. You don't necessarily have to um, file your taxes. And if they need assistance in other ways, we will definitely ensure we help them. Um, I've been meeting with my families and most of them have received the child tax credit, which is important. But answering the questions of how, you know, a lot of people were a little nervous about, you know, the money, receiving money. What does this mean? Will this affect their benefits? And our whole goal is to ensure that the families know that if they accept this child tax credit, because I just took a child tax credit webinar yesterday, actually, is that it won't affect them and they'll still be able to um, access their earned income tax credit regardless. So 
we want to make sure that they have all the questions answered and we're doing the best we can with anyone that needs the extra support to get it. And I've heard there's, there's people are asking questions about like, will I have to pay it back? Will it come out of my taxes in a different way? So there is, a, I guess, with any new benefit, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, but you, but you're, it sounds like you're developing the capacity to really sit down with folks, provide the technical, whatever technical assistance they may need if they have to use an online portal to apply for it. Um, Martha's Table can help them do that. Yes, we want to make sure that our parents access all of the things that are available to them. So I will definitely always, we have another family engagement specialist and we have our amazing family services coordinator. We will ensure that they are provided the most amount of knowledge about it. They don't have to pay it back. And that's something that we want to stress to them. Take this advantage, take this money that can best boost you in other ways that you need. And don't be afraid of, you know, something coming back later, um, trying to ask for this money back because that's not what the child tax credit is for. Yeah. And the thing that I think is also so important is it's it's not necessarily uh, willful misinformation or confusion. Some of this is actually predatory to try and convince families not to do certain things that are in their best interest. And those are messages that have been uh, promulgated, you know, for decades, uh, particularly in certain communities. And we know that it is um, it's certainly concentrated in black and brown communities and those that we stand alongside. So we do have to do a lot of uh, conversation and correct correcting that that has been um, <laughs> intentionally misinformed to people. And luckily, uh, given the work that we've done over the years and the way that we stepped up during COVID, we have a level, a level of credibility that people will listen to us. Uh, but we do, and I know, um, Kaylin has shared this and could certainly share more. People will tell you, well, that's not what I heard, or that's not what I've been told. And that's not, you know, what everybody's saying. And a lot of that information has been intentionally dropped into our communities so that people do not pursue the resources that could truly support them and their families. Yes, I am actually a recipient of the child tax credit for my own son. So I try to use my own personal experiences to make my families feel more comfortable. Is if you're a person that they can see and hear from that this is something that I am accepting and I am benefiting from and it's not negatively impacting me, then they'll feel more comfortable to do it as well. So I've explained to them the process. I've talked to my families. I'm like, well, I'm a little hesitant. Well, I'm like, okay, well, let me explain to you my experience, how it's working and the benefit that I'm actually receiving from it as well as an employee of Martha Stable. Uh, that's got to be a very effective way of um, helping them see the, the potential here. And Kaylin, we, we, we've used, uh, you know, we've mentioned a couple examples, but uh, say a little bit more about how you think or some of the different ways that families will use the, the, the child tax credit, the different types of things that uh, you talked about, uh, making sure that they are supported and supportive. Uh, how will they be able to be supportive of their families with this child tax credit? This child tax credit will allow families to give themselves a little bit more wiggle room. I still have families that are still trying to recover from their lack of employment and trying to pay back 
you know, debt that they have that they're nervous about when they're trying to get into these first time home buyer programs and they have to get a certain credit score so that way that they can do that. So a lot of my families have talked about going back to school, um, getting into programs. I mean, Martha's Table, we have so many other programs that they can benefit from, like the Goodwill Excel Center, different things that they can access with our partnerships. But this will allow them to finish off paying you know, some of their student loans, some of the things that they actually need. And some of my families have talked about, I've never had a savings account for my child. And I'm able to put this money away so that I can allow them to have something that I never had as an adult or for myself coming from my parents. So they're being very creative in ways that they can use this child tax credit. And it alleviates some stress, honestly. So I think our parents are really looking into, because of all the support and financial literacy that we provide to our families and different programs and um, virtual sessions that we've had, they're starting to think outside the box. We're they're trying and they think about generational wealth and what they can do with it. So we're happy that our parents are really thriving and thinking more than just the bare minimum or what some places are trying to keep them boxed in with this money. And to, to you know to make sure that this child tax credit remains a reality. Uh, I, I'm thinking, Kim, that as we're having this conversation, the, the longevity of it is not guaranteed. There's going to be a congressional uh, battle over reconciliation and a $3.5 trillion bill. And uh, in the ideal world, the child tax credit would become permanent. It's probably more likely to become extended for uh, a number of years. Are there things that the broader anti-hunger and anti-poverty community need to be doing in terms of advocacy to make sure that voices are heard on behalf of the future of the child tax credit? Yeah, I, I think that's such a, it's such a great question. And, and, um, and one that, that just has, I, I think just a number of different um, responses. One, you know, we're, we're always going to have changes in Congress and administration uh, locally, federally, just across the board. And, you know, it's just the way that, you know, the, the wind blows is kind of like where things land. We'd love to see the child tax credit become permanent. I would say for those who are really interested in this work, whether it's the child tax credit or uh, hunger or, or really anything that just can help provide stability so people can mobilize. Th this is the crux of it all is none of this represents a handout. None of this is People just want to sit around and do nothing and just live off the government. People are trying to be able to take care of themselves and their families and are in systemic swirls that they need to get out of. So whether it's the child tax credit, uh, direct cash assistance, however you want to define that, because there are a number of different ways that folks are trying to define that. Uh, but what what we need to see, I believe, as a country is our ability to say those who want a shot at achieving their dreams have an opportunity and have the conditions such that they can do that. So if that means that they have a family and there can be some support for their children, then we need to do that and we need to go as big as possible when that wind is blowing in the right direction. Same thing with cash assistance and same thing with 
you know, free schooling for those who are going back, you know, all of those things. So just we have to I think the advocacy needs to be go big while we have it, because the pendulum always swings. And we know that the second thing is just also to root these, you know, initiatives and things that sit outside of a political structure. Let's find some outside independent anchors who can support this type of work at scale so we don't have to rely on fingers crossed, do a wind dance for, you know, when the pendulum swings in that direction. So again, I just think that there's a lot of ways that we need to address this, but, you know, we need to do as much as we can, as fast as we can, and as big as we can, because folks usually really only get one shot uh, and we need folks to have the best shot that they could take. I feel like we're hearing a voice of very savvy political experience. We know that uh, whatever gains uh, we can solidify, uh, you know, it, it has to be done now. Um, tell us a little bit uh, as we uh, wrap up here about how folks and our listeners can support Martha's Table and what type of, uh, what type of support is the most valuable for you? The most support that um, families needs is the continued listening ear. I think that our families in our community just want to be heard they want to, because they're the ones that are on the ground dealing with the everyday struggles of the pandemic and the things that they deal with. So just hearing what it is that we need and adhering to those needs and not trying to make shift of what we think that they want or what we think that they need. These are the people that have the ability to tell us exactly what it is that we can benefit from. And if we are having opening ears and we are saying, we hear you, we value you, we want to help to continue to improve and get out of the place that we are currently in. I feel like my families alone will just love that. I feel like Martha's Table did that throughout the pandemic. We listened, we did weekly check-ins, we talked to them every week, we heard their struggles, their cries, and we showed up and we did what we had to do. So I I think that that's the best support that you can give is to actually do what you say you're going to do for the community. Do what you say that you, and be about your word, but hear the things that we know, um, to hear the things that the families need hands-on directly. Well, I love hearing that, Kaylin, and it feels like it's something everybody can do. And I'm hoping, kid, Kim, that you'll also tell us how we can actually donate and financially support Martha's Table. Absolutely. Well, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't. Uh, I think... I think the best ways to support the dignity and respect of the community, as Kaylin so um, eloquently stated, is as we stand alongside the community and truly listen to the community and, and are involved in community-led work, we need financial support. We need support of time. I always, uh, people laugh at me because I always say we need sandwiches. We go through 10,000 sandwiches a week. Uh, for those who, uh, again, are facing housing instability with the hot meal, they also, uh, you know, our guests receive sandwiches and that's usually breakfast and lunch for them the next day. Close our boutique. Again, uh, we operate a boutique where people are able to shop at no cost for children's clothes and adult workforce attire. And every single moment of time and every single cent goes a very long day, a long way. It 
tech, it literally costs us about $8 a bag uh, for groceries. And it is a significant and heavy bag of groceries. And so never think that any financial commitment is, uh, is too small. Having been out on McKenna's hundreds of times and even had some of our guests who are facing housing instability give us 30 cents just means the world to us. So your time, uh, financial, clothes, sandwiches, we would love all of that. And just know that it all goes into supporting the dignity and respect of an organization, Martha's Table, who has stood alongside the community, who doubled down during the toughest of times during this pandemic, and who will continue to stand alongside the community for the next 41 years and 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 hopefully beyond. Well, I you know, I could hear in the both the energy and the eloquence of both you, Kim and Kaylin. Um, that um, you've just been, you know, on the front lines of this and how you have the energy and eloquence and don't sound more tired than you do, given what the last 18 months have been like, uh, I, I don't know. But uh, thank you so much for being there. And thanks so much for all you do to make this community strong and healthy and to uh, give so many of our fellow citizens here a, a stronger shot to be able to thrive. Um, we're, we're really grateful and inspired by the work of Martha's Table and uh, grateful to have Kim Ford and Kaylin Thomas with us on Add Passion and Stir. Thank you both. I just want to take a second to tell you about another podcast that I listen to. It's Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Danny's the president of the nonprofit Food Tank, and she does a wonderful job interviewing guests at the nexus of food system change. Many of the guests that you've heard on Add Passion and Stir have also appeared on Food Talk. They include Mark Bittman, Jose Andreas, Dan Barber, Michael Pollan. You can also hear from farmer and activist Ron Finley and food system advocate Dana Gunders and 2020 Nobel Prize winner David Beasley. There are many other terrific guests. Please subscribe to Food Talk wherever you get your podcasts or visit foodtalk.com. We have a special guest today, Sam Daly-Harris somebody that I've learned from in the 30 years, 35 years that I've been doing anti-work. Sam's actually been doing it longer. Uh, he's been the mentor to many of us as an anti-hunger advocate, uh, as the founder of a great organization called Results, uh, as an activist and an author, a uh, terrific book called Reclaiming Our Democracy, Healing the Break Between People and Government. Uh, Sam Daly-Harris, uh, we've known each other for a long time and we've kind of been in the trenches together and now we get to have a, a future-facing conversation about the work that lies ahead. But uh, welcome and tell me how you're doing. I'm doing great and it's great to be with you. Uh, Sam, you've worked on hunger, as I say, for uh, a long time and I'd love to, we've got a lot of things to talk about, uh, including the child tax credit, which uh, this conversation is part of a special series that we're doing on the child tax credit. But uh, give us a sense of just, uh, I was going to ask about both the state of hunger in America today, but really, uh, more importantly, what you've seen change uh, in the many years that you've been uh, on the front lines of the fight against hunger. Well, let me just address something that I guess I think hasn't changed enough. And if I could just tell you my route in you know, I have degrees in music and I played in the Miami Philharmonic Orchestra decades ago, but the death of a friend around high school graduation and the assassination of Robert Kennedy around college graduation got me to asking the questions of purpose. 
why am I here? What am I here to do? And then nine years later, I'm now up to 1977, I'm invited to a presentation on ending hunger put on by the Hunger Project. And I'm thinking, well, hunger's inevitable. What do I know? I'm a musician. But I go to this thing and I realize that hunger is not inevitable. I mean, there are solutions to all these problems that we face. Uh, and, and I, I realize it, it, I feel like it's, it's human nature that's broken, that people will just never get around to doing the things that can be done. There's one human nature I can control my own and my questions, why am I here? What am I here to do? So I get involved in a big way. And this is the end of the story, but I guess gets to your question. I speak to 7,000 students on ending hunger. And before I speak to the first classroom, I read quotes from experts calling for the political will to end hunger. So I asked 7,000 high school students, who's your member of Congress? Fewer than 3% can answer correctly. And it's really out of this gap between the calls for the political will to end hunger on the one hand and the lack of basic information who represents us in Washington on the other that results starts and that I start my work 41 years ago on, uh, on hunger issues. And I think the, the challenge it remains the same, that we need to see ourselves as capable citizens and as capable advocates and able to speak up and really make the change that I, we need to make, for example, with making the child tax credit permanent. And so there's more that we can do than we imagine. Let me give you a child tax credit victory. Uh, the child tax credit passed in the Senate on, it was a Saturday, March 6th, in the COVID supplemental in 2021. And uh, Sherrod Brown, senator from Ohio, was one of the leaders in the Senate on this uh, on the child tax credit. He steps off the Senate floor and picks up his phone and calls into a results monthly conference call. Uh, it so happens that they're on a Saturday once a month for decades kind of thing. And Sherrod Brown says, I've been in the Senate 14 years. This was my best day in the Senate. And he said, uh, this has to go to the House on Monday and the president has to sign it. But the minute the ink dries, we're going to start working to make this child tax credit permanent. And there's nothing more you, important that you can do as an activist than work to get that permanent. Two weeks later, he's got 17 signers on a sign-on letter to make the child tax credit permanent. And he announces we're going to close it in a week. And results volunteers double down. And in four days, Monday through Thursday, 24 more senators come on and they end up with 41 senators signing. This is back in March uh, of uh, 2021. And one of his key aides writes a letter and he says to one of the top uh, results staff, someone said to me this morning, I can't believe you went from 17 signers on Monday to 41 on Thursday. That doesn't just happen. And he, the, the aide wrote, thanks in large part to your persistent efforts. Another office said to me, you sure do have an army behind you. And he was right. And he went on to thank uh, results for its work. So Sam, you talked about an army at results. Uh, say what you mean. How many results uh, volunteers are there? What type of things are they engaged in? 
Yeah, it's really small numbers. In, in other words, in the key activists in this city, let's say in Miami or in Tulsa or in Seattle, it might be five or six people. I mean, sometimes it's 10 or 12, but it's a small number in city after city, but they're rolling up their sleeves. They're learning the issue. They're picking up the phone. They're calling the editor or calling for an appointment with the member of Congress. And it's, it's not numbers, really. It's depth that's, uh, that's the real uh, uh, issue. Let me say this one other thing. I think it's important for people to realize a professor at Hopkins, Hari Han, puts this out, that there's transactional advocacy and transformational. Transactional is sign this petition, transaction complete. Transformational advocacy is where the advocate grows and sees themselves in a new light, sees themselves in a way they never imagined possible, sees themselves as a community leader. And we need more transformational advocacy where people get involved in organizations that can help them develop and grow uh, into that transformational advocate. Sam, I think you'll appreciate this. When you were just talking about, um, we, you know, there are categories of people who don't watch the news or watch the news or actually do something or roll up their sleeves. Um, I was thinking of a post I just saw yesterday from my friend Dan Palata. I don't know if you know Dan. He's the author I, of I know him. Uncharitable. Um, and he had a post by Werner Earhart uh, on Facebook, uh, I think two days ago. Uh, and it, it says this, uh, the quote from Werner Earhart was, it is important that you get clear for yourself that your only access to impacting life is action. The world does not care what you intend, how committed you are, how you feel or what you think, and certainly it has no interest in what you want or don't want. Take a look at life as it is lived and see for yourself that the world only moves for you when you act. So th that's the way I think of results volunteers, action-oriented. Now, uh, you, you, you gave this powerful example of the impact you had with uh, Sherrod Brown and getting signers for the child tax credit legislation. Why, let, let's get into the child tax credit. Why was that something so important to you? What type of impact do you think it can have? Well, I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, even if I think of myself decades ago as a young father and maybe income levels were lower, the impact that $300 a month could have on a family in some cases is mind boggling. And it's the difference between eating or not eating. It's the difference between childcare or not childcare. It's the difference between very important, but basic things. And so that the United States would step up in that way is profoundly important and this this opportunity doesn't come all the time and we really need to grab it and uh, make sure that that it's made permanent and, and when you talked about uh activating that army of results uh volunteers and advocates how do you do it the child tax credit's been around for a long time in one sense but this newly refundable version which will reach so many more children and families uh is new, it is different. It's not something everybody's conversant with in terms of how it's going to work. Uh, how do you educate your troops so effectively? What techniques do you use? Well, uh, 
one step is putting them into chapters so people aren't acting alone, like going to a city in COVID, we might go by Zoom to a city to start a chapter, a group of four or five or 10 or more people who are working together. That's step one. Uh, step two is really a commitment to dissolving the powerlessness people feel. I love this quote from uh, Frances Morlapay. She wrote Diet for a Small Planet 50 years ago. She said, our real problem is not a heating planet or rampant malnutrition. We only have one real problem, our own feelings of powerlessness to manifest the solutions right in front of our noses. So the powerlessness is really big and you have to really fess up to it and work hard to dissolve it basically. Uh, and then you have to train people. You have to train them in the skills of getting a meeting and holding a good meeting, planning a good meeting with a member of Congress or the skills of writing a letter to the editor so that they can be effective and then help them have breakthroughs. Great, now let's talk about democracy. Um, I mentioned your book, Reclaiming Our Democracy. Um, you're one of the few activists I, I know who really does such a good job of connecting individual issues and their potential solutions to the democratic process. Talk a little bit about your work on that particular issue and what you're trying to do to kind of close this gap between people and government. If I could, I want to just share this a part of a quote by uh, Alex Steffen, uh, a futurist and climate activist. He said, optimism is a political act. Those who benefit from the status quo are perfectly happy with a large population of people who think nothing will get any better. In fact, these days, cynicism is obedience. And I think that's so crucial. In fact, these days, cynicism is obedience. And so I think we need to... Because it leaves the status quo in place. Exactly, right? exactly. And so... Um, you know, I think we just keep needing to address these uh, tools and, and you know, find the way uh, to move the things forward. Um, I have to tell you the story. I was coaching a group. The woman uh, staffer led her first ever inviting team. And she said, it went well. They said they'd invite 39 people to the launch meeting, but there was this one obstreperous person. She didn't like this and she didn't like this and she didn't want to invite. And she, she kept me on 23 minutes after the call to complain some more. And I said, congratulations uh, for stepping into the fray. Uh, our democracy's broken. Uh, you know, our actions are not what they should be. And you stepped in with possibility. And, you know, it's not going to be always be pretty. Uh, because of the upset that people feel. And I really wanted to celebrate her and the fact that uh, she was willing to just hang with people's upset and discomfort and yet probably generate a great chapter out of that conversation. Apollo astronaut Rusty Schweikert said, we aren't passengers on Spaceship Earth, we're the crew. We aren't residents on this planet. We're citizens. The difference in both cases is responsibility. And I don't take responsibility as a heavy word. 
I take it as an opportunity word, an opportunity to live the life we wanted to live, to make the difference we want to make. Um, I have a coach and my coach said to me recently, I think the question is, what do you want your life to be used for? So Sam, do you feel, are we going in the right direction uh, on democracy? Uh, I, I'm kind of struck by the paradox of, um, and I don't, I don't think they're at all unrelated, but you know, 2020, we had this enormous turnout of voters, uh, record number of Americans voted. Uh, and now partly in response to that, we've got uh, efforts in some states across the country to uh, seriously restrict and, and, and intimidate uh, voting. Um, but if, if you look at the long sweep of history, I feel like we're, you know, it's a, a step forward, two steps forward and a step or two back, but I feel like we're going in the right direction. What's your sense? Well, let me, let me phrase it a different way a little bit. In 2016, a hundred million didn't vote. I think the number with the huge increase in voting in 2020, 80 million didn't vote. And so the level of asleepness is still pretty profound. And yes, I, you know, you want me to give you three examples of it going in the right direction. I can do that. You want three examples of going in the wrong direction. I can do that too. The issue is just more, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? Rather than, is it going in the right direction? It's a bit more, am I? going in the right or you going in the right direction in terms of your own uh, sense of civic engagement, your own sense of really using your democracy for the uh, purpose it was developed, which is uh, a more perfect union. Well, I have no doubt that you're going in the right direction. I hope I'm going in the right direction. I'm not sure enough of us are going in the right direction. I guess that's my concern. Some days it feels like we are, some, day, some days it feels like we're, we're not. But um, I'm grateful for the direction that you've been going in all these years. Did you say Results was, is 41 years old now? That's right. That makes me older than 41, that's for sure. <laughs> just, just a little bit. I want to make sure that our listeners understand how to get involved in Results if they're so inclined. Tell us a little bit about the website, the best way that people can engage. How can people make a difference through results. Sure. They can go to the website. It's results.org, R-E-S-U-L-T-S.org, and connect that way. And, and they'll hopefully find a chapter in their community. And if not, they can learn about how they might get a few other friends together uh, to form a chapter. Uh, well, Sam, thanks so much for uh, talking to us. I hope that uh, folks will take a look at the results uh, website. I hope they'll take a look at your book uh, on reclaiming our democracy. I know you write and you speak uh, often. Uh, and as I say, you've been a mentor to many of us. So thanks for being part of Add Passion and Stir. It's an honor. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. We hope you've enjoyed our series on the child tax credit. Be sure to visit addpassionandstir.com to find all of the episodes in this series and information about the child tax credit and our guests. And please, if you like the series, share it with a friend or rate the show so that others can find it. At Passion and Stir is produced by District Productive and Paul Woodle with support from our team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign. Debbie Shore, Megan Cantrell, Kelly Griffin, and Joanna Weber. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Shore.